0: Irritable Heart Syndrome, Soldier's Heart, Takotsubo Syndrome, Anxiety Neurosis, Effort Syndrome, Idiopathic Hypovolemia, and Mitral Valve Prolapse Syndrome. Over the years, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, or POTS for short, has been known by many different names. Although initially described in combat soldiers, the majority of patients with POTS are women of childbearing age. While there has been some progress in our understanding of POTS, there is much more that needs to be done. Too often, patients suffer from lengthy delays in receiving an appropriate diagnosis due to limited physician awareness and recognition of POTS. Today, our patient has postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, The Heart Has a Mind of Its Own, An Approach to POTS. All right, time for a minute physiology. How does the cardiovascular system respond to orthostatic stress? When a healthy person assumes the standing position, A number of hemodynamic changes occur, most within the first 30 seconds. Gravity causes blood to descend from the chest to the lower body. There is also a more gradual shift of plasma volume from the vasculature into the interstitial space. This redistribution of fluid causes a reduction in effective circulating blood volume. The fall in venous return to the heart leads to a decrease in preload and cardiac stroke volume. It also unloads the arterial baroreceptors located in the carotid and aortic walls. The baroreflex rapidly produces a compensatory parasympathetic withdrawal and sympathetic activation, which then in turn increases heart rate, cardiac contractility, and peripheral vascular resistance. At the bedside, these physiologic processes manifest as a small increase in heart rate, a small decrease in systolic blood pressure, and a slight increase in diastolic blood pressure. Many, but not all, patients with POTS have reduced cardiac stroke volume, which is felt to be the driver of the excessive orthostatic tachycardia. POTS is a syndrome with diverse and often overlapping pathophysiologic etiologies, with subtypes including, but not limited to, autonomic denervation, hypovolemia, hyperadrenergic stimulation, and deconditioning. Partial peripheral sympathetic denervation can lead to inadequate distribution of blood volume through impaired vasoconstriction and increased venous pooling in the abdomen, pelvis, and lower extremities. On the other hand, patients with absolute hypovolemia experience a compensatory neurohumeral response that increases heart rate and vascular resistance. Some patients have persistently low plasma volumes, which has been postulated to be secondary to impaired function of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Specifically, these individuals may have inappropriately low plasma renin and aldosterone levels, or an adequate angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 activity. Hyperadrenergic POTS is characterized by an exaggerated sympathetic nervous system tone with elevated standing plasma norepinephrine levels. Cardiovascular deconditioning is a common biological process that is attributed to reduce intravascular volume and cardiac atrophy in response to bed rest deconditioning, like its converse cardiac hypertrophy in response to exercise training. The exaggerated orthostatic tachycardia and related symptoms in most patients with POTS is often due to more than one of these mechanisms. Trauma, infection, pregnancy, and surgery have all been reported as triggers to the onset of POTS. For example, chronic symptoms consistent with POTS have been reported following COVID-19 infection. The increased prevalence of POTS among family members also suggests a potential genetic predisposition. An immune-mediated mechanism has also been postulated and research is ongoing to characterize specific patient subgroups. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Although there is a consensus definition for POTS, which we will get to later, a lack of awareness and understanding of POTS often results in misdiagnosis, progressive morbidity, and disability comparable to heart failure. The estimated prevalence of POTS is 0.1 to 1% and is present predominantly among females of childbearing age it is important to recognize that POTS is a syndrome and not a singular disease. Concerns of predominant orthostatic sinus tachycardia in the absence of significant orthostatic hypotension are a sine qua non of the clinical presentation of POTS. However, patients with POTS commonly report posture-independent non-cardiovascular symptoms, including perceived cognitive impairment, sleep disturbances, headache, allergies and anaphylaxis, as well as gastrointestinal dysmotility. This multi-system presentation likely results from several underlying pathophysiological processes and associated comorbidities, as discussed earlier. Thus, it is important to include on your differential diagnosis for several different presenting complaints. Several medical societies have published consensus criteria for the diagnosis of POTS including the Canadian Cardiovascular Society, the American Autonomic Society, the Heart Rhythm Society, and a POTS working group for the United States National Institutes of Health. The current diagnostic criteria for POTS include 1. A sustained heart rate increase of greater than or equal to 30 beats per minute within 10 minutes of upright posture. The increase in heart rate must be greater than or equal to 40 beats per minute if the patient is aged 12 to 19 years. Two, absence of significant orthostatic hypotension, defined as a magnitude of blood pressure drop greater than or equal to 20 mm of mercury in the systolic or 10 mm of mercury in the diastolic measurement. Three, recurrent symptoms of orthostatic intolerance that are worse while upright with improvement upon return to a supine position. Common symptoms are lightheadedness, palpitations, shortness of breath, and fatigue. And lastly, four, symptom duration greater than or equal to three months. There are a few important caveats to mention. First, transient initial orthostatic hypotension lasting less than one minute does not preclude a diagnosis of POTS. Second, among patients with a supine resting heart rate less than 60 beats per minute. The threshold would be based on an increase from a resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute. Lastly, these hemodynamic criteria do not need to be met at every assessment. The diagnosis of POTS requires exclusion of alternate causes. The differential diagnosis includes acute hypovolemia, infection, endocrinopathies, including adrenal insufficiency and hyperthyroidism, anemia, anxiety disorders, medication, or recreational drug effects such as diuretic or stimulant use, and prolonged bed rest. When POTS is suspected, start by taking a patient history. Ask about symptoms that suggest possible signs of autonomic dysfunction, such as gastrointestinal or urinary dysfunction, abnormal sweating, acrocyanosis, and dry eyes and mouth. Inquire about contributory medications and determine adequacy of salt and water intake. Gather information about the patient's other medical problems. Common comorbid conditions seen with POTS include Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, mast cell activation syndrome, migraines, and chronic fatigue syndrome. Next, conduct a physical examination, including orthostatic vital signs at regular time intervals. Heart rate and blood pressure should be measured when the patient has been supine for at least five minutes to ensure fluid equilibration has occurred, and then after standing for approximately 10 minutes. Given the presence of diurnal variability with greater upright heart rate and orthostatic tachycardia in the morning, morning assessments of orthostatic vital signs are preferred. During your assessment, inspect for signs of common comorbid conditions, including joint hypermobility and cardiac auscultation for a murmur of mitral valve prolapse. Some patients will present with dependent acrocyanosis, which appears as a dusky red-blue discoloration of the feet and calves while standing with skin that is cool to touch. Let's talk about our workup. Standard investigations for secondary causes include a 12 lead ECG, CBC, electrolytes, renal function, ferritin, thyroid stimulating hormone, and a morning cortisol level. A 24 hour Holter monitor can exclude significant arrhythmias and may also detect inappropriate sinus tachycardia, which is a syndrome that overlaps with POTS, and is defined as an average heart rate of greater than 90 beats per minute over a 24 hour period. The Canadian Cardiovascular Society does not recommend pathophysiological subtyping during the initial screening and diagnosis of POTS. So there is no immediate indication to order additional specialized testing. Although not necessary to diagnose POTS, specialists may offer a head-up tilt table test with continuous blood pressure monitoring when there is diagnostic uncertainty or to assess for autonomic failure in patients with widespread autonomic features. Let's talk about our treatment. The approach to the management of POTS is pragmatic. Non-pharmacologic interventions include cessation of contributory medications where possible, dietary modification to optimize intravascular volume, and semi-recumbent aerobic exercise. Patients should aim to drink three liters of water and consume one and a half to two teaspoons of salt per day. 24-hour urine sodium excretion may be measured as a surrogate estimate of dietary salt intake. The recommended target for 24-hour urine sodium is greater than 170 millimoles per day. A trial of waist-high compression garments and/or abdominal binders, starting with a compression of 20 to 30 millimeters of mercury, may prevent venous pooling. A gradual increase in physical activity depending on baseline functioning is also advised. Non-upright exercise with a focus on aerobic conditioning can improve cardiovascular hemodynamics and reduce symptom burden. There are exercise-based physical therapy regimes designed, researched, and prescribed for people with POTS, such as the Levine Protocol, while some patients may benefit from formal rehabilitation. Exercise programs should be personalized, and benefits can take weeks to months to notice. Any increase in physical activity should consider post-exertional malaise, with an associated risk of exacerbating symptoms and setbacks in functioning. Pharmacologic treatments target predominant symptoms and underlying causes. Medications can be considered for those with severe symptoms. However, side effects are often not well tolerated. The quality of evidence for existing pharmacologic therapies is low to moderate based on grade methodology, if the standing heart rate is high, low-dose propranolol, a non-selective beta-blocker, can be used. The most limiting side effects include hypotension and fatigue. Evabridine can be an alternative to non-selective beta-blocker therapy among those with contraindications or intolerance to this class of drugs. Adequate contraception is required when using evabradine in women with childbearing potential. Patients with a tendency to hypotension can consider midadrine, a short-acting peripheral alpha-1 adrenergic receptor agonist, to enhance venous return, cardiac preload, and stroke volume. Fludrocortisone, a synthetic version of aldosterone, might be helpful in patients who appear volume-deplete, for example, because of inability to increase oral salt intake. Plasma electrolyte concentration should be monitored when prescribing fludrocortisone, Central sympatholytic agents, specifically clonidine and methyldopa, are used in patients with prominent hyperadrenergic symptoms and significant orthostatic hypertension, but may be limited by sedation and dry mouth. Pyridostigmine, a peripheral acetylcholinesterase inhibitor, may relieve symptoms by increasing synaptic acetylcholine at autonomic ganglia and peripheral muscarinic receptors. Due to the possible side effects of diarrhea. Prudostigmine is preferentially prescribed to patients who have constipation as part of their GI dysmotility. The Canadian Cardiovascular Society currently recommends against radiofrequency ablation of the sinus node and balloon dilation of the superior jugular vein. Primary care physicians can diagnose and treat POTS. A referral to a center with expertise in POTS is appropriate for patients not responding to first or second line therapies for a Medicine Minute. Did you know that the current prevalence of POTS is likely significantly higher owing to the post-acute sequelae of COVID-19 infection? New-onset POTS has also been reported in the literature following the COVID-19 vaccine. However, the odds of newly diagnosed POTS following natural COVID-19 infection were far higher compared to the post-vaccination period, and therefore, is not a reason to avoid the COVID-19 vaccine. The accuracy of POTS diagnoses and whether affected individuals may have recovered are crucial limitations of these studies. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled, The Heart Has a Mind of Its Own, An Approach to POTS. This episode was written by Dr. David Bobrowski, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Tosin Asantokan and Dr. Paula Harvey, cardiologist, as well as Dr. James Rassus, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Alison Lai. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and executively produced by Alison Lai, Zar Morali, and Leah Kirinopoulos. Theme song by Laksham Fizantha Mohan. As always, we have an associated infographic on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you again soon.